year. Are you, does it feel weird to hear Happy New Year a week into the year? You're already used to writing 2018, aren't you? You used to always say, are you, are you, are you having trouble writing 2000 and whatever on your checks? But now since nobody writes checks, I don't think it matters. But um, <laughs> you are here on a good day. You are going to hear a message this morning entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Part 27. It is the longest running sermon series in our church, um, and it's been going on for 27 years. We revisit this question at the first Sunday of the year every year, um, and there's a story behind that and why this is part 27 of that series, but we'll get into that more later. But before we do that, I want to do kind of a little participation thing. So if you're able, I want to ask you to stand. Everybody stand. Because this is part 27. This is the 27th year that I have given a message on in January entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? So what I want to do is kind of get a sense of this. So uh, this is part 27. If you were a part of our church this time last year when part 26 was preached, then keep standing. If not, go ahead and sit down. Okay. All right. So let's hear it for those new people. All right, now let's see who the, who the real hardcore folks are. If you, if you were here, say, for part 20 of this series, remain standing, if not, sit down. That's seven years ago. All right. Let's see. If you were here for part 15 of this series, 12 years ago, then keep standing. The crowd is thinning. Okay. If you were here for... Part five, 22 years ago, remain standing. Wow. If you were here for part one in 1992, remain standing. Everybody else could sit. Wow. <laughs> so the message is that if you stick around that long, we will put you on staff and you will have a lot of work you have to do. Um, yeah, so some of you have been here a long time, and then some of you are brand new around here. So for those of you who were still standing at the end or near the end, you have heard me tell the story countless times of how this church got started, how I got started in this church, what God did during a crucial point in the beginning years of our church back in the early 90s. And uh, the bad news is you're going to have to hear it again. Um, even though you live through it, you're still going to have to hear it again. But uh, if you have been in that group that got to sit down early, if you've been here just in the recent years, then uh, this might be a new story for you. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that story a little bit, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's get back to today. Today is January the 7th already. <laughs> okay. I know, it's already January the 7th, and what's really amazing is that uh, you're going to blink and it's going to be Easter, and then you're going to blink again and it's going to be summer, we're going to be running around getting ready for VBS, and then you're going to blink again and it's going to be Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then we are going to be here in 2019 doing part 28 of this series, Lord willing right? And you're going to ask yourself this question, what happened in 2018? 
How did it go by so fast? Where did the time go? It's, it's amazing how quickly the time goes on. And when we get to that point in 2019, where we're standing here, we're looking back on 2018, here's the deal. I don't want us to have any regrets. I don't want us to get a year further down the road in the little bit of time that God has given us on this earth and look back on 2018 and go, man, I... I said I was going to focus on the Lord more. I, I said I was going to care about the things that God cares about. I said I was going to um, love people better. I said I was going to get out in the community and serve in some sort of way. And yet, you know what? Just the busyness of life caught me. And, and, and it, you know, the alarm clock goes off and I get up and get ready and go to work. And then I work and I come home and have dinner and go to bed and wake up the next day. And this process just goes on and on. And that's why the days go by so quick. And you get to the end of the year and you can easily go, I know I lived this year, but I'm not sure that anything in the world is better because I lived this year. I do not want that to happen to any of us. And I really don't want that to happen to us as a group. I want us to be able to get back to the end of 2018 and go, you know what? Um, my life has changed this year. And the world has changed through me this year. And, and I'm just going to be right up in your face and say this. If you don't have any plans for 2018 that involve the changing of your life or the changing of this world through your life, then you don't have ambitious enough plans. But that's okay because you're here today and we're going to do something about that. We're going to see that, that God is actually working and, and he can do amazing things in a very short period of time. And we're shocked and surprised and amazed when he just shows himself strong and he does something that we never saw coming. Think about the children of Israel. For, for 400 years, they had been in Egypt, right? And, and, and so think about that, 400 years when we think back in American history, we go back to the time of our founding fathers, we're going back like 240 years. We're talking 400 years. How often do you stop and think about what your, what your great, 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 great grandfather believed back in the 1600s or the 1700s, right? You don't. So these people for 400 years have been living in Egyptian culture. Egypt was all they knew. And for the vast majority of that 400 years, they had been oppressed and enslaved. And they were at the bottom of the system in Egypt. And none of them knew any different. It was all they knew. It was all their parents had known. It was all their grandparents or their great-grandparents had known for generations. They started out one year just another year as slaves. And by the end of that year, they found themselves completely free 10 plagues later, right? What can God do in a short period of time? Or, or think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a slave in Persia. You can read about this in the book of Nehemiah in your Old Testament. He was a slave in Persia, and he got a report about how things were in Jerusalem, and the report was not good. The city was in shambles and ruin. It had been burned down. The walls had been broken down. The, the, really, the nation of Israel was, had, had come to nothing. Most of them were enslaved in other places. And he heard about what was going on, and it just troubled his heart, and he began to pray. That was one year. By the next year... 
Nehemiah had led a movement and the city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt, reoccupied, the walls were up again, and the people were worshiping God in the city of David again. Think about Joseph and Mary. One day, the beginning of their year, they're just a couple of teenagers who are thinking about getting married. A year later, they are raising the Son of God. God can do a lot in a little bit of time. Think about uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, the fishermen. You know, these guys had always been fishermen. Just like the, the children of Israel had always been slaves, these guys had always been fishermen. Their dads were fishermen. Their grandfathers were fishermen. Their great-grandfathers were fishermen. They never even heard a story of an ancestor that wasn't a fisherman. All they knew was, get up in the morning, get on your boat, get out there and catch some fish, come back in, fix your nets, sell your, your catch, and then get ready to do it again the next day. They had smelled like fish every day of their lives. <laughs> and so did their dads and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers and so on. It was the only life they knew. It was the only life they expected. It was the only life they thought about. And one day this rabbi walks by named Jesus and he says, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says they put down their nets and they left their boats and they left their fathers and their families and they began to follow Jesus. And a year later, they were caught up in the most significant ministry movement and spiritual awakening in the history of the world. God can do a lot in a little bit of time if we join him. So believe me when I tell you that God has plans for 2018 that will rock your world if you'll join him. Now, I don't know how 2017 was for you, but for me, it was filled with surprises I got to tell you, you know, in January of last year, I had no idea what I was going to be facing in 2017. I didn't know the things I was going to go through. I didn't, I had, now I'm not saying I didn't have a plan. I had a plan. I had all kinds of ideas about what I wanted to do and what I wanted to happen and all of that. But for me, it was filled with surprises. I made my plans and God smiled. <laughs> and I think I even heard him chuckle. But even though I didn't realize what I was getting into as the year began to unfold, here's the deal, guys. God did. And he was leading me. And he was leading me through 2017. And he was gracious and kind and led my family through 2017. And he led this church through 2017. And as we look back, and this is an important thing to be able to do at this time of year, to look back for a minute, I want us to just look back and to see a little bit about what God has done in and through this church just last year. Because one of the great ways to get a sense of what God is doing is to watch what God has been doing. Does that make sense? So I just want us to think for a second. In 2017, as a church, we saw a bunch of people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and yeah, it, it is worth it to clap for God there because... There's nothing more valuable than that. And a bunch of us got to stand by the baptismal waters and hear the story of people who had given their life to Christ and experienced the joy of the Lord and God is doing amazing things in their lives. Um, 
we welcomed a whole bunch of people to this congregation. When I said, hey, if you weren't here a year ago, sit down, a whole bunch of people sat down. And there was a whole bunch of people in the first service who sat down. Just people who in the last year have come into this fellowship and begun to make relationships both with the Lord and with one another and participate in what God is doing. And what's been cool for me as the pastor watching that is how God has added people across the spectrum in terms of categories, right? I mean, old people, old people. God keeps sending old people to our church. And and I've always been baffled by the whole thing because I'm so young. I just don't understand what are old people so interested. But God sends old people and young people. Did you see how many ankle biters ran out of here a few minutes ago? Right? And, and people of different uh, racial backgrounds, people of different national backgrounds, people who are visitors to this country who are here for just a little while. Um, it seems like lately the big influx has been people who work at City of Hope. It seems like every time I meet a visitor, they're like, yes, I work at City of Hope. I'm like, we should start a church at City of Hope because everybody <laughs> works there. And, and he's just sending more and more people, and it's just been awesome to watch how that happens. People from every background, every station of life, and one of the things that thrills me is, is from a, in, in terms of age, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of gender, in terms of background, in terms of social status, the Lord is leading our church to look more like our community. I mean, it's a very diverse community. And, and God is doing that, and that's an awesome thing for me to get to see. We saw last week, we talked about this at length. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to, but we talked about what God has been doing globally in missions around the world. You know how many nations got touched because God was working through the people of Grace Fellowship this year? Incredible what God is doing around the world. But it's not just around the world. We started to have our presence felt in this community in ways that has never been felt before in 2017. Whether it's as simple as something like uh, a free car wash where we, we serve people and wash their cars and everybody's been to a free car wash before so everybody knows it's just a gimmick, it's just a way to make more money. Instead of charging five bucks a car, you do a free car wash, you put a tip jar out, somebody throws in 10 bucks and you do great, right? And everybody comes to our car wash expecting that and what they find is not only do we not accept their tips but we give everybody a dollar just for coming to visit. And the city goes, what? The people in the community go, why are you doing this? And we go, you know, really, it's just an illustration to talk about the love of Jesus and how he gives us something infinitely valuable that's free. A dollar is not so valuable these days, but the love of Jesus is. And, And our community going, wow, that's an interesting way to hear about Jesus. I thought I'd heard about him before. And whether it's something as simple as that, or it's people that are out there on the riverbed from our church that are ministering to the homeless people that live there and we're providing food and clothing and all of the uh, counselor, whatever they need, or whether it's uh, volunteering in a crisis pregnancy center or in a soup kitchen, or whether it's people that are just um, starting little Bible studies in their neighborhood, God is just opening doors in this community and doing amazing things. And it's been awesome to see. We've seen leaders develop in this church in 2017 right before our eyes. And this is one of the benefits, frankly, of my illness. If you're new around here, you don't know, I went through a major surgery a few months ago and missed a bunch of time here. And that was one of the things I didn't have planned. But you know what? God did. 
And God knew that he was going to use that to raise up leaders who maybe wouldn't have ever raised up and gotten that experience if I had continued to be here doing the things that I was doing. So that's an incredible thing. We've seen a new ministry begin to teenagers in 2017 that is changing lives. And I think that 20 years from now, it will be looked back upon and we'll say, this didn't just change somebody's life as a teenager, this changed the world. And God's doing amazing things through that. Um, our children's ministry has basically doubled in size in 2017. So if anybody is like a general contractor and wants to donate a new building, um, <laughs> we need it because our kids' ministry is just exploding. And half the young women in our congregation are pregnant right now. So um, I, think it's, I think it's in the communion juice that's causing that, but... Um, but that, that children's ministry is taking off, and what that means is young families. We're seeing young families joining, you know. Uh, I, I laugh a joke about the old people and go, wow, what are people in their 80s and 90s? What is it about this church that attracts them? What's amazing to me and makes me go, God is so good, is that 90-year-olds are attracted, and so are 25-year-olds. Like, how cool is that, that God is doing that in our midst? Um, we had VBS this summer. We had 50 kids show up every day during the, the summer VBS program, and many of them came to know Christ. That was awesome. And you know what was even cooler for me about that was that for those 50 kids that were here, we had 60 adults who gave their week to serve those kids. So that was just incredible. People just taking weeks off of work and just going, yep, I'm going to come and serve. And we saw a whole bunch of kids come to know Jesus because of that, and families come to know about the love of Christ. You know what else we did in 2017? We adopted an entire elementary school. So Beardsley Academy in Duarte is now our responsibility. And we are responsible for praying for them. We're responsible for ministering to the teachers and staff. We're responsible for tutoring and caring for kids. We're responsible for coming alongside the administration and helping them. And we're just getting involved in more and more ways with Beardsley. We can't reach every kid and touch every school and change every life all at once. But we picked one school and we said, we're going to focus on them. We're going to make sure those teachers know they're loved and cared for. We're going to make sure those kids have the programs available to them that they need. We have people that are on that campus every week tutoring kids. And kids who couldn't read six months ago can now read at grade level. It's unbelievable what God is doing through that ministry. We've seen our young adult ministry in 2017 blossom. You know, Garrett and Ricky were up here talking about it. And Garrett was talking about, you know, it's changing lives and it's changing my life. I got to tell you, um, Christians in my generation, my age group, have pretty much written off 20-somethings. And they've just gone, you know what, this is, this is a whole generation of people that have just given up on God and are not interested and they don't want to come to church and all that kind of stuff. And boy, what a bunch of knuckleheads they are. I go, you guys, do you understand the knuckleheads are us? The problem is not the people who aren't coming. The problem is the people who are not letting them see the relevance of Jesus Christ. And what's happening in our young adult ministry is that our young, young adults, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, that are, that are just surrounded by a completely secularized worldview in a society are now coming to see that Jesus is not only theoretically relevant, but practically relevant in their everyday lives. They're, and their relationships are changing and their lives are changing and they're building one another 
other up and supporting one another. Our men's ministry, our women's ministry, soaring to new heights in ways we've never seen before. So many people getting discipled and cared for. Our grace groups, um, which are starting up next week, by the way, our grace groups um, had more people involved in 2017 than ever before in the history of our church. And it's not so important that people are involved. What's important is that they are involved in each other's lives. And those grace groups are being used by God to change lives. And if you still haven't signed up for a grace group, I will make an exception and let you get in if you sign up today. Um, We've been continuing to preach the Word of God. And you know what, guys? People ask me all the time, you know, how do you always have something new to preach and how do you get your ideas and all that kind of stuff? I don't have anything new to preach. I have something old to preach. And it's really, really relevant today. And, and the Word of God is powerful and the Word of God changes lives. And so much of the life change we've seen is because people are actually taking God's Word, coming to understand it and apply it in their lives. And when we begin to apply God's Word in our lives, everything changes. And so we're seeing that happen. Many of us have grown as worshipers and we've gotten beyond the idea that worship is defined as the 30 minutes while the band is up here playing. And some of us are really starting to apply the idea that my life is about worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I need to be glorifying God in the workplace, in the school, in the home, in my relationships, wherever I am. And under Pastor Ricky's leadership, a whole bunch of people are coming to just become more profoundly and intimately related to Christ. And he's changing our lives because of that. And, and more of us are involved directly in hands-on ministry than has ever been the case in the history of our church. So 2017 was a rocking year. 2017 was a year in which God did all kinds of cool stuff. Was it all the stuff that we had planned? Nope. But it was stuff that he had planned. And and that was 2017, but let's be honest, that was seven days ago. <laughs> I mean, we can't live in the past. <laughs> that is ancient history, right? The question before us today is not what happened in 2017. The question before us today is where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I always find it a little bit unsettling every year at the beginning of the year because like most of you, I take a deep breath at the beginning of the year and I kind of think about, well, what do I need to see happen this year and what kind of goals do I want to set and what needs to change and what do I need to focus on and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of intimidating to stand on the precipice of a new year and look out and wonder, you know, what, what is going on? Where do we go from here? And I get a little bit unsettled. I can promise you that I was more than a little bit unsettled at the beginning of 1992. This goes back to part one of the sermon series. 1992, when some of you were not yet even born, when, when Jim was just getting his AARP card. <laughs> in 1992, what had happened was, let me give you some history. This church was planted in 1987. And uh, I got involved in 1989. My wife and I got involved. I say my wife and I because we didn't even have any kids back then. And we got involved in 1989. And one of the things we loved about our church was that, um, you know, it was just a small little church. Like there was just a few people and we were meeting in a rented space in a junior high school and all that kind of stuff. But we loved the pastor. 
The, the pastor who helped plant the church, his name was Pastor Cliff, and Pastor Cliff was just one of these guys who had a way of connecting with people so that the first time he met you, you felt like you'd been friends for 30 years, right? And everybody loved Pastor Cliff, and everybody that was a part of that church really was there because of Pastor Cliff. We were all, I don't remember anything in those days about what was our vision as a church and what were we going to do and all that kind of stuff. I just remember saying, let's get up and go to church. It's Sunday. I want to see Cliff. And I remember how much it mattered to me that he knew me and he cared about me. And he would say, hey, let's get together for coffee on Wednesday and all that kind of stuff. And he just had this way of making everybody feel like they were such a part of the plan that God had going on. And so... Um, in 1991, in the fall of 1991, I was the youth pastor of the church, and the youth ministry was just taking off, and it was taking all of my time and energy and focus, and Pastor Cliff came to me and said, I've accepted a call to go and pastor a church in Idaho, and I just stopped dead in my tracks, because immediately I thought, I, I don't even know how to think about this church without him. I, I don't even know. And we were just getting started. I mean, we were just a church plant. We hadn't even incorporated as a church. And we were just kind of finding our way. And we didn't have hardly any leaders. And we didn't have hardly any money. And we didn't have any resources. And what, what we had was this great pastor. And then he said, I'm leaving. And he said, I'll be here for three months. And then um, they asked me if I would preach the first few weeks of 1992 because really the leaders of the church needed to make a decision about whether we were just going to close the doors or whether we were going to try to figure out a way to make it, how we would find a new pastor and all that kind of stuff. I was 26 years old. And so um, the week before that first Sunday, there was one other guy on staff. He was, he was essentially in Ricky's role. He was an associate pastor slash worship leader, and he was the guy that was very connected to a lot of the people in the church that were serving and he came and sat down with me and said, hey, look, I know this is probably not what you want to hear, but I've been praying about it, and I've decided that I, too, am going to be leaving in January. And I said, okay. No, I didn't say okay. <laughs> I whined and cried and begged and bribed and blackmailed. I did everything I could think of. I, I said, look, if you leave, the church dies. It is done. Look, I'm, I'm this youth guy. I'm 26 years old. I don't have any experience. I don't have any training. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if anybody's going to stay because the only reason any of us was here because of Cliff. And now you're going to leave. And, and he said, yeah, I think that's what the Lord wants me to do. And I said, well, then, okay. <laughs> and, and he left. And, and there I was. And, and I'll tell you, at a time like that, I was so, so lost what do I do? So I did what I do when I get lost. I just fell on my face before God and I started crying out to God, you got to help me, you got to direct me, you got to teach me, you got to tell me something. And I started reading the word, which is the other thing I do when I don't, when I need a direction from God. I just have never been good at the whole listening and hearing an audible voice thing. I hear an audible voice from God from his word. And so I, I, I just was pouring over God's word going, God, speak to me, speak to me, because this, this church just got started, and now there's no way it's going to ever come to maturity, and, and what are you going to do? And, 
and I was in the book of Philippians, and I started reading Philippians 1, and I came to a verse, and you ever do this when you're reading your Bible, and you get to a verse that just jumps off the page, smacks you right in the face, and goes back down? That is exactly what happened to me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, jumped off the page, smacked me twice, kicked me, and then fell back down. And I looked and went, wow, this verse, God is speaking to me, right? It was like a holy moment, you know, angels, whoa, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Not exactly, but, but I, I knew for sure God was speaking to me. And it was coming straight from his word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I have preached on that passage every first Sunday of the year for 27 years now based on the fact that God gave me that message that day. And so Philippians 1, 6 has become for our church something of a theme verse. So if you're new around here, you're going to have to get used to it. If you're old around here, then you probably already haven't memorized. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together. I'm going to put it on the screen and we're going to recite Philippians 1, 6 together. So stand up. If you are able, focus on the screen and nice and loud like you want the whole world to hear, we're going to read together Philippians 1.6. Here we go. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Good job. Sit down. Now... That was this verse. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it or bring it to fruition or bring it to full maturity is what that word means. He will complete the good work. He will perfect the good work that he began in you. And, and many people know this verse, and many people love this verse. It's a verse that people write in sympathy cards and in get well cards and things like that because we want to encourage people and say, hey, look, God began a good work in you. He's going to complete it. And every time that you do that and you write that to an individual, you're just slightly taking the verse out of context. Because while it is true that God completes the good work that he begins in individuals, that's not what that verse is saying. That verse is not written to an individual. It is written to an entire congregation. So when it says that he who began a good work in you, the word you refers to the entire congregation, not to any individual. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, go to Philippians. We'll just read the first uh, six verses together real quick. Right after Ephesians, you come to Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1. The introduction of the letter begins like this. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, he's writing to all the saints at Philippi, that is, to the local church at Philippi. It would be as though someone wrote a, a letter to the people of Grace Fellowship. To the local church in the city of Philippi, he writes this letter. Now, what do you need to know about this local church? Well, a couple things we know from the passage. First of all, they have overseers and deacons. Overseers are elders, deacons, ministry leaders. So they, they have a well-designed leadership and ministry staff. 
Um, and they have a bunch of what he calls saints. And by the way, we use the word saint in all kinds of ways, but all saint means is a follower of Jesus. So he's talking to Christians at Philippi. And he's saying, I'm talking to all of you as a whole, every one of the saints, along with the leaders and the pastors and all of you. And here's what I have to say to you. God began the work in your church and God is not finished yet, but he will complete the work that he began because he's God. And so there are overseers and deacons and saints who are reading this. And by the time of this writing, the church is about 10 or 12 years old. And here's how the church began. Paul and Silas came into town in Philippi. There was not a Christian anywhere. There was no one who had ever heard the gospel in the city of Philippi. And so they looked for some Jewish people. There was not even 10 Jewish people in the entire metropolis. And so the only place he could find Jewish people, because there was no synagogue, was to go outside of the city gates down by the river, and he found two or three women down there who were worshiping on the Sabbath. And being that they were Jews and he was a rabbi, he went to them and he shared the gospel with them and told them that their Messiah had come and they came to know Jesus on that day. Now picture Paul and Silas and these women walking back into the town rejoicing because of the gospel and they come across this slave girl who was demon possessed and Paul casts the demon out of the girl which you would think everybody would be happy about, except the guy that owned the girl and he was using her as a fortune teller. And now without the demon, there was no fortune telling. So he lost his money. He got mad. They dragged Paul and Silas into the city square and beat them nearly to death. Then they threw him in jail and chained them up. And while they were sitting in jail chained up, they began to sing praises to God, which is what anybody would do in that situation, right? <laughs> They began to sing praises to God, and in the midst of their praise, an earthquake shook the jail. Their chains fell off. The jailer ran in and said, what's going on? And Paul and Silas told the jailer about Jesus, and the jailer accepted Christ. He took them home. They talked to his family, and his whole household accepted Christ. So in this first day in Philippi, there was these two or three or four women by the riverside who accepted Christ, and then there was the jailer and his wife and kids. They accepted Christ. And then Paul got chased out of town and didn't come back. So this was the church. These three or four women, the jailer, a couple of kids, that was it. That was the church. The, the most mature Christian in all of Philippi had been a Christian for 12 hours when Paul left. And 10 or 12 years later, he's writing this letter. And this is one of the most world-changing churches still to this day in the history of the world. This church has become powerful and influential. And they, they've, they've got their act together. And God's doing amazing things. And he's writing back to them. And he's saying, look, guys, I know that you've been at this a while right now. I want you to understand something. You know how God miraculously like, did an earthquake? And how you came to know Christ. And you believed the gospel. And, and, and he gave you the faith to believe. And all the miraculous work that he did. Listen, when he did that, the same God who did that is the same God who's going to complete the work by making you fully mature as a church and letting you be about the kingdom work that God has in mind. God's going to finish what he starts. They've been participating in the gospel from that day until now, Paul says, and he's proud of them like any father would be of his kids. And he says, I thank my God every time I think of you guys. Like, what a cool thing to hear from your spiritual leader, right? I thank my God every time I think of you guys. And every time I read that verse, I'm just like moved to emotion. 
because he's encapsulated exactly how I feel every time I think about you guys. And how when I think about the incredible privilege that God has given me to be a part of this church, let alone the pastor of this church, and to see the things that God is doing in the lives of the people of this congregation and the way he is using you to go out there and change the world and how different ones of you are using your gifts and your talents and your time and your energy to go out there and be about loving people and glorifying God. And I see the world changing because of what you guys are doing. I just stop and thank God every time I think of you guys, because God is doing amazing things through you. And so Paul is writing to this whole congregation, and and he's saying that it's important to remember when you come to verse 6, he's saying that God is doing something great through all of them collectively. And he's saying that when God started something great in them as a congregation, he had every intention of bringing it to fruition. When God planted the seed, he didn't just envision a seed being planted. He envisioned a fully grown tree, a fully grown tree bearing fruit and doing it in season and out of season over and over and over and over again. And what he's saying is God is still about that process. The tree is growing don't worry, God's going to finish what he started. And I want you to notice why he's so confident. I want you to notice where his confidence lies. He doesn't say, uh, for I am confident of this very thing, that the leaders that God has placed in this church will lead you to a greater place. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, I'm confident of this very thing, that you guys will pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you will do great things for God. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I am confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, he will complete it. So the, the, the focus is on God. And boy, that is such an important lesson for us to learn in an age in which we sort of give celebrity status to leaders and we have pastors on television and famous guys writing books or even just in a small congregation like this, you have someone standing up on the platform and you go, oh, he's the guy, he's the leader. No, it's not about that guy and it's not about the other leaders and it's not even about the people in the congregation and all the talent that they bring. It's about a God who will not be stopped who's going to love people and going to bring people to himself one way or another. And what an incredible privilege that he would use the likes of us to do that. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're talking about. That's where his confidence is. Since God began his work in this church, there have been all sorts of changes. I'm talking about Grace Fellowship. There have been all sorts of changes in these 27 years that we've been doing this series of sermons. Uh, there have been a lot of ups and downs. There have been a lot of victories. There have been a lot of challenges. There have been times of rejoicing and times of just shaking our heads and going, what in the world is God doing? And, and the faces have changed, right? We, we saw how many people are new around here. The faces have changed. And let me just say this with all love to those of you who have been here a long time, your faces have changed too. <laughs> okay? I should say our faces have changed, Right? Some of us are new around here, and some of us have been here for decades, but together as a church family, we enter 2018 together, and we stand on this precipice, and we still have this question, where do we go from here? Here's where we are. Where do we go from here? And I wish I could give you a precise answer, but I can't. Proverbs 16, 9 says, 
Man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. How many of you have found that to be true in your own lives, right? Listen, we make plans. We should make plans. But we got to remember, God is the one who moves us around so often. But here's what I can tell you, and it has to do with direction more than detail. And frankly, we're going to get into some details on January 28th when we have our family meeting together and we start talking about vision for 2018. But today, I just want to talk about direction. I'm going to promise you this. God is going to be calling each and every one of us to a greater sense of devotion to Him. I can promise you that. I can promise you that He is going to be drawing you and He's going to be saying what we sang in the song today, come to the altar. He's going to be constantly saying, come closer to me. Don't be afraid. Don't back off. Don't hide things from me. Don't have your own little side of life that isn't a part of my life. But draw near to me. Come in to me. Be close to me. Let me put my arms around you. And you're going to experience life that is truly fulfilling. And I'm telling you, it's way better than anything you've ever done. You know, if we had time, we could look this up. In Matthew chapter 4, you can write it in your notes if you're taking notes. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 is that story that I mentioned earlier where um, Peter and Andrew and James and John are fishing and Jesus comes along and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, Our lives are transformed and the world is transformed When we are willing to drop our nets, walk away from our boats, leave behind anything that is holding us away from Jesus, and follow him. See, we have made a huge mistake in modern Christianity, and that mistake is we have allowed the term Christian to mean anybody who sort of believes in Jesus. But really, a Christian is one who is like Christ. That's what the word means. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, one who is becoming more like Jesus, not somebody who just believes certain doctrinal things about him. And I'll be honest and say, one of the things we have to own, one of the things we have to wear as the modern American church is that there's a whole bunch of non-believers out there who are very interested in Jesus, but when they look at the church, what they see is a lot of people who can tell you doctrinal facts about Jesus, but don't seem to be following him in their own lives. And it's a turnoff. And I don't blame them. I'm turned off by it too. We need to be people who are followers of Jesus. And I promise you that he's going to constantly be calling you to drop your nets, drop your nets, leave your boats, walk away, follow me, whatever makes you comfortable, whatever makes you feel secure that is separate from Jesus is going to have to go. And he's going to call you to follow him. Because you know what? Those three guys, those guys, those 12 guys that followed Jesus for those three years, they were transformed during those three years. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't serve an internship. They just went with Jesus and lived with Jesus and listened to Jesus and watched him and grew to be like him. So that by the time that Jesus went back to heaven and he left the church in their hands, God was doing the same things through them as he had been doing through Jesus all along. That's what he wants to do through us. 
That's what God is going to do in your life this year. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, whether you're standing on the outside looking in going, I'm kind of interested in this whole Jesus thing, but I'm not sure what to do about this and I'm just finding out, or whether you've sort of already put your foot in the water and accepted Jesus, but you don't really know where to go from here, or whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, I can promise you this. This year, he is going to require that you walk away from something that makes you comfortable so you can walk with him. And when you walk with him, I promise you, he's going to show himself strong and you're going to find out just how awesome our God really is. So we need to grow in our personal relationships with him and we need to let him work in our lives so that he can work through our lives. Because he's not just interested in fixing me He's not just interested in blessing me. He's not just interested in saving me. He's interested in doing a transforming work in my life so that I become a living testimony of his power because he's trying to change a whole world through me and through you. And that may mean that we have to drop our nets and walk away from some stuff in order to follow him. Another thing I could promise you is that he's going to require that your focus gets off of yourself and gets more outward you're going to need to start focusing more on God. If you're going to become the person he wants you to become, listen, if we are going to become the church that he wants us to become, we're going to have to get focused on him. We're going to have to make lifting up his name and glorifying him and honoring him more important than anything else we do in the world. And that means we're going to have to make our other goals and visions subservient and come under the authority of Jesus and say, Lord, it's all about you and it's not about me. We're going to have to get our eyes upward. We're also going to have to get our eyes outward because there's a whole community and we're just now starting to get our finger on the pulse of the people that live around us, whether it's geographically around the city of Duarte and Monrovia in that area, or whether it's where you work and where you live in an outlying city or something like that, where God has planted you is where there are people he wants to touch through you. And so we're going to have to, we're going to have to do the one another's of scripture. We're going to have to love each other and we're going to have to love a world that doesn't know Jesus. And it's going to cost us. It's going to involve sacrifice. But I can promise you this, God is not going to ask you to give anything that he doesn't give to you. Does that make sense? He he doesn't ask you to give any time and money and energy and, and talent that didn't come from him in the first place. So he's always the one who supplies our every need. But if we're going to follow him in 2018, it's going to cost us something. And in my family in January 28, uh, uh, in, uh, in our family meeting, I'm sorry, in January 28th, we're going to get into some of the details of what we're going to do. So don't miss that. But for today, here's what I can say and we'll close. It's been an incredible three decades. Just, just to walk with God and be a part of this church. Since God planted this church, he has supplied our every need as a church. He has led us every step of the way. He's matured us. He has corrected us. He has redirected us. He has forgiven us. He has shown himself strong to us. And he has begun a good work in us. And if we're to join him from here, we're going to have to trust him and we're going to have to obey him. We make our plans. He directs our steps. We we create a budget. He provides the resources. We develop programs. He touches hearts. It's really all about him. I mean, if, we, if there's a flag we're going to wave, let's let the flag say it's all about Jesus. That's the flag. 
And when Christ is central, when he is first and foremost in our lives, when we're willing to let go of anything in order to live for Christ and his glory, that's when Grace Fellowship will begin to really get momentum and become the kind of church God has always envisioned us to be. When he planted a little seed in 1987 that we thought was just going to get snuffed out, and he said, oh no, it's not about you, it's about me. I'm doing something much bigger than that. You know what? Since then, there have been so many churches planted through this church Since then, there have been so many thousands and tens of thousands of people reached for Jesus Christ through this church. There have been so many leaders trained up, discipled, who are now out there in the mission field or pastoring churches around the world through this church. This little church that's got nothing to boast about. What do we have to boast about? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's the one. It's all about Him. And we can become the church that he has in mind for us in 2018. We could be standing here at the beginning of 2019 and look back at 2018 and go, oh man, that was amazing. Look what God did. I believe that can happen in this church and through this church in 2018. And you know why I believe it? Because I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us We'll perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what do you say? Are you in? If you're in, let's stand and let's dedicate 2018 to him. And we'll give him all the glory. Father, we want to just thank you and lift up our hearts and our hands and our voices and say, you're awesome. (laughs) You you are amazing. and, And your track record has been incredible. You have nothing to prove. We are blown away by how great you are. And yet, Father, we still get distracted. So help us. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to love you more than we've ever loved you before. Help us to love one another in ways that would make the world stop and stare and go, wow, what is it those people have? Help us to love those who are not a part of our fellowship enough that we would reach out to them and care for them where they are, not expecting them to change before they get close to you. Help us to be people who are a part of whatever you're doing and help us to be willing to pay the price to do it. We dedicate 2018 to you. It is for your glory, for you are our God, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.